One, two, three into the four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low death, make us so we crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake this. But uh, back to the lecture at hand. All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want as long as you got them facts. We have a uh, bit to get into today, so let's go ahead and get into it with the world on the street. street. I have a couple things to go over. Uh, first things first, we have some voter fraud to talk about, but it's not what you might think. Now, Porter Township, Pennsylvania official Ed Soundgrass has admitted to forging his dead dad's signature on his mail-in ballot back during the past election. Now, the ballot was originally sent out uh, to his father October 6th, a day after the man died. Soundgrass says he made a quote-unquote an error and had he, he had taken the power of attorney from his father after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And he went on to say, I was just trying to execute a dying man's wish. I'll get back to my sentiments on that in just a second. Songgrass will plead, uh, plead guilty to a falsification charge and get three days, jail, three days in jail and a $500 fine. Uh, this trial is supposed to take place July the 9th. Now, the big thing... Um, with this especially with that quote he said i was just trying to execute a dying man's wish well first of all the man was already dead for one and isn't this what the same you know one of those uh, those proponents that republicans had initially about mail-in ballots you know that you know anybody could just throw in a vote they were concerned about people being dead and having votes casted out for them this is the irony of it right here and you have a guy right here, and this is the thing on the surface, you want to listen to what he said and, and you go, yeah, you know, he he took over the power of attorney for his dad. And I guess his dad wanted to cast one last vote. Right. On the surface, you want to say, yeah, that's a that's a great story. I understand that. Right. On the surface. But then at the same time, you want to you turn around and you say Republicans are diligently working at stripping away the Voting Rights Act. Actually, uh, they're limiting access to voting as well. For millions of Americans. But yet here they are. They're the main ones perpetrating this voter fraud. Ain't that about a bitch? You ever just think about it, you know, and all that shit they talked. Oh, um, dead people uh, coming out of their grave to go vote for Biden. Obviously, this guy's a Republican. We know where his vote was going to go, so... You know, well, his son is a Republican. I'm pretty sure he was a Republican. Um, we pretty much know where his vote was going to go. But here we are, a clear case of voter fraud. And sure, he just gets a little slap on the wrist, three days, three days in jail, $500 fine. These are the exact offenses that they want black people to go to jail for life and all that over and, and want to fine them fifteen dollars or $20,000 for. I'm just saying, not necessarily go to jail for life. You know, that's a little bit extreme, but they, they, they would give us and they would want to give you a significant jail sentence for being black and doing this. So, I mean, this is this is to me is ridiculous. 
And again, you know, he, he says that he puts that quote out there. Oh, it was just a mistake. I'm I'm trying to, um, you know, I, I was just trying to, you know, make a dying man's wish comes true. And I know the people on the surface are going to go, oh, yeah, he's right. He just wants to fuck all that. The dad died. That's unfortunate. And I'm sorry for your loss. But you don't get to vote for him anymore. That's voter fraud. And if everything, I mean, and again, this was their whole thing. This was their whole, the whole thing that they were afraid of. See, then that just goes to prove to me, had Trump would have won, you wouldn't have heard anything about voter, um, voter suppress or voter, sorry. Um, you wouldn't hear anything about voter fraud. There'd be nothing wrong with how this system worked. If Trump would have won. Now that he hasn't won, you're going to have this whole section of America. Again, I mean, I'm looking at Biden's presidency as we speak in his administration. I'm not, I'm still critical of it as well. Trump wasn't, you know, shit either. Uh, but again, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying there's this whole, you know, section of the population that is very, very adamant about some type of fraud, about some type of, you know, misdeeds taking place. But again, it's your side that's doing it. Y'all tell me, I mean, clearly voter fraud, his dad died. He's cast the votes and said for him, but that's okay. Hmm. Y'all tell me, but again, they're stripping away laws for people as we speak, people of color as we speak. These are the issues that I have. You know, that's why I'm not satisfied with a, a federal holiday. Sorry. I don't buy it. Say what you want. Moving on, uh, we have uh, we want. I wanted to talk about that high rise collapse in Miami. So many uh, angles you need to you know take with this story a little bit. But um, so far, um, one person has died, with ten others being uh, well, ten others being injured, uh, while up to a hundred more people have yet to be recovered in this collapse. Uh, it happened in a small community of, I believe it was called. Um, Surfside. So this small community here along the Miami Beach area, uh, they have these condos, these high-rise condos, of course, I'm guessing catering to, you know, upper class. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just who lives there. Uh, but again, like I said, there were up to 37 people that were recovered, but there's up to up, up to 100 more uh, that are that are have yet to be recovered from this uh, this wreckage. Now, um. This is a quote coming from Raidi Jadala. This is the assistant assistant chief of operations for the Miami Dade uh, Fire Department. He went on to say it's a very slow and methodical progress. Uh, sorry, uh, process because every time we start breaching parts of the structure, we get debris that falls on us. So it's again, um, it's dangerous even for the rescuers. You have you know stuff collapsing in on you, and I'm you know people are probably sinking lower and lower within all this rubble and you know it's just a again like he's saying a very complicated process so uh look for this process this is according to the commissioner of the area the town the small little town um she goes on to say it could take weeks uh for all the rubble to be cleared and all of the bodies to be uh recovered uh, so we have a lot of work here to do there's no cause for the collapse yet that has been stated 
Uh, however, the apartment was under a 40-year inspection for its recertification, uh, and that usually takes a year. Um, a couple issues that I do notice immediately, the first thing I'm going to say is 40 years of, you know, it's, it takes 40 years for the city to go and um, check in on a building and see how it's structurally sound or is being maintained uh, for a recertification. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't know how much, you know, again, I, I don't know the, the costs and measures for all that. But I think 40 years is a little bit too long in terms of building inspection or recertification. I think uh, it should be like a four to five, maybe 10 or well, maybe 10 year type of thing, five to 10 year situation, maybe 15 years max, um, 20 years, maybe. But once you start getting to 30 and 40, I, I just feel like you're just being cheap and you don't want to, you know, you don't really want to invest uh, the extra, the extra time and the effort it would take to make sure these places are safe because uh, there's a big issue going around with waterfront pr property in this region, that being the Miami-Dade and, well, you know, more so the beach, uh, Miami Beach area, is that, you know, because of these rising sea levels, these buildings, including this one here, are sinking they're sinking into the ground uh, eventually it will not at some point they're saying within 25 uh, maybe 35 years a little bit more than that maybe pushing 50 and that's being nice that's still being relatively nice on that uh, is that these places will not be safe for real um, habitation and this is just an example of that so 40 years um, again, when you when it's been stated that you have this process of building sinking, I think every building, um, I think, you know, I think the minute, you know, it was confirmed that, you know, land is sinking here. I think these building, you know, uh, these building inspectors or whatever you call it, city inspectors should have already been kind of keeping an eye on everything in this in this area. That's, you know, not, you know, that's to a certain age, you know, um, 40 years. Like I said, it's way too long uh, to go in between building inspections, and I'm I'm hoping that's just again uh, the recertification is its own process, um, and they just do minor inspections throughout the time. I'm hoping that they do something like that, but again, with you know your situation, you know again with you know the, the earth sinking around you, you'd think people would be on top of these things and looking out for these things, but I, I don't think so. I, I think. Um, uh, they're used to, you know, I think there's a way to save money and the city and the county and whoever's involved, these little beachfront communities, they say, okay, well, you know, people are paying to live here and they're going to pay all this money to live here. It doesn't matter what, I mean, and we'll give them some amenities, but it doesn't really matter the actual structural integrity of these places. And I, I think that um, is is uh, a little bit as it was a shame that people overlooked that and us as a consumer i mean again people are living here we're not looking more into this among the missing uh are members or family members of the president of paraguay uh mario abdo benitez so again this is was, was a this is a well-to-do community at least that's what it seems like to me um you know upper class and again i don't mean to say that you know that's not to say that in a disparaging way uh this is again that's just the demographics and uh, again it kind of doesn't matter america will you know and the powers that be kind of lit certain things um fall by the wayside and i think maintenance and inspection of buildings is one of those things and again it's just again goes into infrastructure um we'll get into I'll, i mean I, i'll give you guys a little bit of a hint of what i got in my uh 
my newest list that I have for the worst Republican states in America, for example. Um, again, it's not building related, but again, it's still infrastructure. It's, you know, construction and maintenance of, you know, property and everything like that. But in West Virginia, for example, 39% of the roads there are pretty, or 31% of the roads there, excuse me, are undrivable. You can't drive anywhere there. You know, and then these buildings again. So we take it to Florida. We take it to Miami. These buildings are f are built on faulty foundations, and they are sinking in the ground. That's an infrastructure problem. That's something that has to be addressed uh, by the people uh, in power and those who commission building and and you know, and civic engineers or civil engineers, if that's what you want to call them, and the architects and the people who control that. And and I think it's you know, again, unfortunate that we are in a situation in which you rather wait 40 years to inspect the building, particularly, again, under these circumstances. Well, that's just the way it is. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're going into the sports world. We're going to start off with an NBA update. Of course, we are in the midst of the conference championships. Championships, excuse me. So I'm going to break down uh, games two and three of the Western Conference Finals. I will also uh, break down game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then we can preview game two. I also want to get into the MLB. We're going to be getting over, going over some news there, a little bit of news, uh, some scores, and the standings as well and uh, we ha do have some news from the nfl world as well so a little bit more to get through guys but it's friday i got the time today i ain't working yeah that's just what it is i'm off today so we're gonna get into it all right y'all i'll be right back I wanna know who wanna go 16 so up in the matrix All I need is a weapon and eight kicks Remember back in the days Cross colors and eight six If I fall off now it's right back to the basics Out on the block quarterback and making my cake flip Young your boy, I'm so outrageous Catch me in your local club I blow out stages You don't wanna catch a slug We blow off bases Hundred niggas in the hood with the sawed off gauges Look, I beg your pardon From here to New Orleans 2004 Going out like the floor of the Marlins Swinging them bats Ringing them gats Speaking the gats Niggas speaking up on your boy Bring me the past look, it's not a game for the fortunate fame. Seventeen going to school with a quarter of cane for the bread, the deal blowing off a portion of brains. Three story affiliated men was scorching the game. Let's go. Who wanna go six teams for me? Wrist clean, six clean, who mean is me? I let the four fifth beam your team. All right, y'all. So we back. Let's get into the NBA. Uh, let's talk about the Western Conference Finals, of course. Like I said, we're going to start off with game two. Uh, the Clippers, of course, get it done. Uh, not the Clippers, but you know what I mean. The Suns get it done by one. 104 to 103 uh, was the final score on that one. I think the big the big takeaway was, of course, DeAndre's Aiden. DeAndre Ayton's last second shot. He would have 24 points overall in that game, too. He would also have 14 rebounds. Cameron Payne would be the leading scorer from both teams with 29 points and 9 assists. Devin Booker would get 20 points as well as 5 assists and 4 rebounds for the Clippers. Of course, Paul George would do his thing. 26 points from him, 6 assists and 6 rebounds. Reggie Jackson would get 19 points, 3 assists and also 5 rebounds. And Avika Zubak uh, would get 14 points and 11 rebounds. For what it's worth, I know um, the game ended, uh, you know, with a one point could have went either way. Uh, but the Suns have been battling back that whole second half. Uh, they look to be kind of at what it counted. They look to be in control, like you know, uh, you know. And, but again, there was a there was a period in which it was still going back and forth near the end. And DeAndre, you know, uh, he made a really good, a really good last second attempt. You know, um, it was a perfect inbounds pass. And again, like I said, uh, the, the Suns had been battling back um, 
you know, they they have been outscoring the Clippers in the second half. But again, it was still relatively cl- relatively close. Uh, but again, up until that last shot, and um, you would think with the way you know things went, you know, with that last second shot, the Clippers might be demoralized. But again, I don't think even watching the NBA so far. If you would really think that, because again, game three, uh, the Clippers, uh, they get it, they get it back. Of course, down 2-0 again. They just somehow they wake up. Um, in this one, DeAndre Aiden will be the team's leading scorer. He's the Suns' leading scorer. He would have 18 points and nine rebounds. Uh, Devin Booker did not really have a good game. Uh, he would just have 15 points alongside Chris Ball, Chris Paul. Um, Booker would have five assists and five rebounds to his total, and Paul would add 12 assists. Now for the Clippers, Paul George again would have 26 points, seven rebounds. Sorry, seven assists and 16 rebounds. Um, really crucial in their effort. Again, uh, the Clippers controlled the boards in this game, getting second shot opportunities. You know, getting more opportunities on the defensive end, taking those opportunities on the defensive end. Again, Paul George uh, next to Vika Zubak. Um, leading rebounder in that game so you got a whole lot for pg uh reggie jackson of course still in the mix 23 points from him three assists and avika zubak would have 15 points in game three as well as 16 rebounds like i said before uh the main takeaway from the game is the sun shot terribly uh 38 from the field uh they would also shoot 30 from the three uh and they were also outscored 34 to 21 in the third quarter and that was pretty much uh what sealed the game uh they had a a decent no no um the game was pretty much out of reach when we got to the fourth and and they just seemed to kind of to taper off um they had they they could not find a shot in that last period so um really it ended 106 to 92 uh but it could have been a lot worse than that i just think the suns just got just got really beat in that game uh what and the question is you know what you know what's next in the series you know i don't know I know you don't count out the Clippers, so I think they probably do end up evening things out just because that's just what we've been seeing so far. I still think this series can go seven games. I don't think you count the Suns out either, but, I mean, Booker just played a really bad game. Um, Really, I mean, he's been hot so far in terms of his uh, production, but, again, the last couple of games, the game before that, like I said, in game two, he just had 20 points, so that's not really – I don't think that really matches his production. So, again, the last two games in this series, he hasn't looked that great. Uh, so, that's going to be a big question. Um, you had DeAndre Ayton leading the team in scoring, well, in this game. Um, but, again, nobody really scoring um, in this one for them. Um, of course, um, for the Clippers, you know, for what it's worth, you know, Patrick Beverly does not always get a lot of points. But, again, he does have a presence defensively. Um, you know, he, he makes a difference. He gets about a steal or two a game. I mean, I think that goes a long way. Uh, but again, for the Suns, you know, they have to be able to put that ball in a basket. 38% from the field. Again, 30% from three. That's going to get them blown out. Um, they were, it was pretty much a blowout going into the third quarter. Um, the Clippers pretty much was up by 14 points to pretty much throughout the second half. Uh, you can't really say too much about that. Uh, really good game from the Clippers. And, of course, you know, 
that's how they've been doing this whole playoff, uh, this whole playoff run. They've uh, taken their first two couple of lumps. They've figured out what this team has, their biggest shots, and their, um, they've slowly break down their weaknesses. So we'll see what happens over the course of the series. Uh, let's break down the Eastern Conference Finals, of course. Uh, we had game one a couple nights ago. Uh, the Hawks... The Hawks got the best of the Bucks, 116-113. to 113. For the Hawks, they were led by, of course, Trey Young, 48 points in that game, 11 assists. He also had 7 rebounds. John Collins would get 23 points, 15 rebounds. And also, Kevin Herter would get 13 points and a couple rebounds as well. For the Bucks, Giannis will lead the way for them with 30 points. Uh, we also have 9 assists and 14 rebounds. Drew Holiday would have 33 points, also 10 assists and also 4 rebounds. And Chris Middleton will get 15 points, 4 assists and 5 rebounds. A couple takeaways from the game. Um, I, I I got a lack of I saw a lack of awareness from the Bucks, especially on the offensive led on the offense on the offensive side, excuse me, and that led to numerous turnovers and opportunities on the other end uh, for Atlanta. Uh, they also lacked transition defense and pretty much perimeter defense as well. I don't know what to tell these guys, but um, I I am not man. The more I see of the Bucks, I'm not. I'm not really fully convinced by these by these guys. I mean, wow. Um, no transition defense. They could not stop the three to save their life. Trey Young is just shooting everywhere. Um, you get Kevin Herter getting a few open shots, and of course, John Collins is going to make his plays. Uh, you got Clint Capella making it, even Clint Capella making a couple plays into the basket. What do the Bucks really have to offer offensively? Again, they struggled uh, shooting the ball from the outside. Again, they were about 30% shooting from three. Again, they, they do not have an extra wrinkle within that offense that make them scary. I mean, it's just Giannis um, or bust almost. I mean, you'll get you'll get a 30-point game from Holiday. You'll get a 30-point game from Chris Middleton, but they're not – uh, they're not scoring 30 points together in the same game. They're not scoring 30 points individually, consistently. Um, I'm very, I'm very iffy on what the Bucks are going to provide in the series offensively. I just see the, the the Hawks being able to shoot lights out. Um, again, like I, I mentioned, Trey Young is all over the place, shooting everywhere. You have John Collins making his plays, and then of course they have a very deep death. Uh, they have Danilo Gallinari who's making people look stupid, moving, using his ball handles and and making plays himself as well. So. I don't know, man. I'm not too sure what the Bucks have to offer coming off of the bench to keep up with these guys. Uh, Connaughton ain't going to be able to do it. Um, yeah, I just don't see it. Um, I, I, I got. I, I, I don't want to say that I hate to admit it, but I, I almost feel like I want to roll with Atlanta in this one. Uh, I just think they they're more potent, they're more potent offensively. Uh, they also seem to be playing solid enough defensively. Uh, to get these things done. They forced a lot of turnovers in game one. Um, again, is that due to just sloppiness and just, you know, unawareness on Milwaukee's part? Probably. Um, but um, I just think that the Hawks are playing good defense as well. I mean, that's what's, what that's coming from. All right, y'all, before I let y'all go on the NBA front, uh, one thing that I want to get into, I want to talk about the two young stars out there, Luka and, of course, Zion Williamson. Uh, they are in this position now where they're still, uh, you know, they're still they're still entrenched within their rookie deals, but it seems that um, 
just over their course of, you know, I think they both played. I think for Luca, I think he's just going to his at least his third year. Uh, for Zion, I think this is going to be his second full season or going into his third full season as well, something like that. So they're still relatively young. Like I said, they're still within that rookie contract. But they're both uh, are respectively getting disenfranchised with, well, dis, disenchanted. What do I want to say? That's the wrong word. They're getting dis, they're getting disenchanted with the franchise with the franchises that drafted them. I don't know why. I'm all over the place with my words right now. But, anyways, for Luca, you know, recently they let go of the GM there for the Mavericks, uh, Donnie Nelson. Uh, of course, Rick Carlisle slipped away a while back. He's now become the coach of the Indiana Pacers. He's going back to 2004 because that's what he was doing in 04. He was the coach of the Pacers. Um, so, you know, Luca, you know, he's. A little bit down about that, particularly more so with Nelson. He seems, at least, you know, according to reports, uh, he was really close to Nelson. They had a relationship. Uh, of course, uh, things did not work out well with Kristaps Porzingis. Um, you know, he pretty much fell apart in the playoffs. At least a lot of people are going to blame him a lot for this. Um, of course, it's a team sport. And I looked at, I, I mean, if you look at the box score, you know, nobody really showed up outside of Luka consistently. So, I mean, we're going to be mad at Chris Stops, be mad at Tim Hardaway Jr., be mad at Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, be mad at Maxi Kleber. You know, you can be mad at everyone, including, you know, Chris Stops for not showing up because that's what happened. Nobody, again, nobody outside of Luka showed up for the Mavericks on a consistent night-to-night basis in the playoffs. That's just the way that it is. And uh, But I can understand the frustration. Of course, now uh, they are... You know, in the works of getting Jason Kidd, uh, so that might be a change in offense, maybe a different uh, team approach. That might be something that Luca might not really be into right now. So he's very frustrated. Uh, again, you know, you don't really hear too many quotes coming from him, and I think that's the thing about uh, Zion as well. This is all just what people around these people are saying. Uh, for example, with Zion, there's a lot of disgrunt uh, this. The disgruntled comments are you're hearing are mostly from his inner circle, his family members, you know, of that nature. They're saying that he's saying this, but he himself hasn't said it. So you kind of just like you're kind of left um, to kind of just either take it as it is, is you know, because that's his family. They wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't true or you're just kind of like, OK, whatever about it. But, you know, I think, you know, there is there is something to be said. um, about both of these teams and, you know, just what they've, the lack of success that they had. And I, I, I guess it would frustrate a younger player who's seen, you know, other players around him experience some type of success. Um, for example, you had Tyler Hero. You know, he was a part of the Heat's run last year. Um, he looked very, he played very well in that series. Uh, you look at players like Donovan Mitchell, they've been around for a couple years, um, you know, but now they're starting to kind of, turn that corner and be, you know, be somebody. It's not like it's taken, you know, five, ten years for somebody to make, you know, a deep playoff run in their career anymore. So I get the frustration that these guys are having. You know, Luka is making it to the playoffs. Uh, He was making it to the playoffs. His problem was that his teams wouldn't perform that well once they got there. For Zion, he's not getting there yet at all. Um, And that has to do a lot with how New Orleans runs their team. Again, uh, Stan Van Gundy recently walked away. 
uh, from the team. They uh, mutually decide to part ways uh, after just one season. Um, I think that's not always good because, you know, that's just one coach. Then you got to bring in a whole nother different game plan, a different system. Uh, for what it's worth, of course, this is a, the argument coming from Zion's camp. Van Gundy was such a hard coach. He was a, a, such a disciplinarian, blah, 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 blah. You know, coaches are going to be who they are, some of them. And I think at this level, it's like, if you want to be successful, you're gonna have you're gonna deal with certain cultures that are not gonna tolerate certain things. Um, if he played for San Antonio, he played for Greg Popovich. He's a hard line coach, from what I understand. Uh, Doc Rivers, he refused to let some uh, all star like Tim Duncan dictate to him how to run his team, and that's why Tim Duncan didn't end up playing in Orlando. This, this is of course when Doc was a coach there. So. I mean, again, uh, coaches, everybody named Mama going to complain about coaches. Uh, there was a period of time where coaches wanted to, um, I think it was the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, the Chicago Bulls. They pretty much wanted to mutiny almost against Tom Thibodeau because he was running them at practice. He's a he's a hard-line defensive-minded coach. They ran out. They was too soft to deal with it. They got him out of town, and look at them. They're garbage. Tom Thibodeau moves on. Uh, he's he's recently had his success with the last team uh, he's been with uh, recently. Um, oh my God, what is that? What is, what is what is his team that he's coaching now? Why is that team not coming to my head? They just were in the playoffs too. Right, the Knicks. He's turned the Knicks around. He has um, Julius Randle, All NBA honors. So again, is it really the coach or is it the player? I, you know, so um, at some point in time. You know, one or one or both of these guys are going to have to say, okay, um, you know, what can I do on my end to help out this team, you know, and be be successful? I think for Luca, he's already doing that. He's scoring whatever points he has a game. I think he needs to either, you know, I mean, for him, for both of these guys, really, they are entrenched in that rookie contract. Um, I don't. I mean, again, I could see them. Got, I could see them maybe forcing a trade at some point. Maybe if it just gets that bad, but. They just gonna probably have to go through this contract and then say, "Look, this is what you know. This over the course of these three, four years, we didn't do this. We didn't. We didn't meet these expectations. I'm gonna walk away." Uh, and I think if you, I mean, I, I think for Luca, he's gonna command a great deal of attention. He's gonna command very big, a very lucrative contract. That second contract, if he's not happy in Dallas. <sighs> For Zion, um, I think he's the same thing. He has a lot of potential on his side. I think if you give him a couple more seasons with New Orleans, again, he's going to command a lot of in, a lot of attention in that free agency market. If he's not happy to play there, I say for the both of these guys, just play it out. Again, if you're that not if it really if it really gets to you, maybe I mean you you're you know, I, I don't I mean you're not established enough. I don't think in order to force things to happen like a James Harden. So I would say for both of those guys, play the rookie contracts out. If you're really not that happy, then sign somewhere else. They're look. They're gonna be looking at you guys when 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 the contract is over. They're gonna be looking at them. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't trip so hard about it at this point for these guys. I, I get the frustration, uh, but it's it's. I mean, again, you, for for Luca, you're getting playoff experience. It's not the greatest. I mean, you're losing, yes, uh, but over time, they're gonna add players to that roster that'll fit your you know to fit your needs. That that's what they're trying to do. I mean, they've, you know, they've let go of Rick Carlisle. They sought another, they're, 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 you know, close to hiring another GM as well. So it looks like they're making those steps to help you improve, at least for Luka. We have to see who they 
eventually who with personnel they get. Same thing with Zion. Um, Zion's situation is different. They need some consistency at the head coaching, some stability there. Somebody that's going to be there for at least two or three years. Hopefully get them at least to the playoffs. See how well they can do and engage. Zion be able to. Zion will be able to engage. You can see whether or not he wants to go or stay. But I think for these guys, again, they're they're in these contracts. That's just what it is. They're just not happy right now. They're reacting. And um, when it comes down, when it, when again, when the time reveals itself for them to become a free agent, they'll be able to make that decision then. But until then, hey, unfortunately, that's the way to go. All right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break. When we come back, I'll be breaking down the MLB. Like I said, I have a little bit of news to go over there. Um, referring, uh, well, some pitchers. Yeah, it's become a pitcher's league again. We're going to talk about that. We're going to address that. And... Um, some of the steps that the, the league has done to remedy this. Uh, we're also going to break down the scores, like I said before, and also the standing. So a little bit more to get through, guys, uh, but I will be right back, y'all. As I said before the break, of course, the MLB has become a pitcher's league. And part of this is because of their use of illegal substances. It's gotten so bad over the past few years that the league has decided to bring up some new rules against the use of them. Now, the MLB is on a mission to um, cease pitchers' use of these um, these substances such as, such as spider tack, other homemade substances, also uh, the use of pine tar. And um, anything pretty much, anything other than rosin is what the league is looking to eliminate. And there's been many other, you know, substances, substances that pitchers have used over the course of history. Now, no enforcement has be has begun, but they have begun to check players. Um, and this has led to some very interesting situations, but uh, pretty much uh, the league has given the umpires uh, clear, uh, clear, you know, freedom to check players whenever they want as many times as they would like. Uh, this could be up to eight to ten times per game. Uh, like I said, uh, it's already been some interesting situations so far where you had uh, A's closer uh, Sergio Romo pretty much take off his almost pretty much take off his pants, expose himself to the umpire just to kind of let him know I ain't got nothing on me. You also had a couple uh, a couple days ago a situation between um, Nationals pitcher uh, Max Scherzer and they was their manager Phillies manager uh, Joe Girardi, where Girardi pretty much asked I think it was like a like a it was like a extra check they had done multiple checks i believe on serger at this point and girardi asked for another one and scherzer he goes crazy he calls out girardi says all these uh all this shit about him so again um this is an issue um 
the thing about it is, like I said before, these substances, these substances that can be used, that have been used include rosin, pine tar, and even sunscreen. And uh, pitchers have been using these using these substances, like I said, for years, decades even. And players have been uh, relatively mute on the subject because, again, you know, they all take part of this. It was like uh, when steroids were big, um, you weren't going to hear a lot of people talking about it because. A lot of you know because a lot of people were doing it. You don't want to be the guy to tell on nobody else. Of course, when you're singled out like you know Jose Canseco, again I don't condone what he did, but you know I get it. I I get it. I'm not saying I'm cool with it, but I understand. You know, again until somebody's cornered, you won't really hear a whole lot of anything. And then you have somebody taking the you know becoming the scapegoat. He's gonna say hell no. Nah. He's gonna let it everything else be known so it's a i mean we don't know what's going to all come out from this particularly you know when pitchers are starting to get reprimanded for this for real for real, not just check not just you know hey you know do something about this um like i said uh you you have had some pitchers i mean sorry some hitters come out recently uh third baseman uh vet, he's a veteran in the league right now josh donaldson also designated hitter Giancarlo Stanton, a really prominent power hitter. Uh, they have mentioned that the added substances give the pitcher more control, therefore making hits harder to come by. As far, uh, like I said, all the and all these substances, as uh, as far as I know, except for rosin, have been banned. Now the thing about the the control um, and what the what the what the batters are seeing on their end is is what you call. And I'm understanding this more as I understand baseball more than just watching it. And I'm actually getting things, right? Uh, there's something called a spin rate. So this is the amount in which the ball spins after the pitcher is, is throwing it. Now, the better the spin rate, uh, it's pretty much very hard for a pitcher to tell, first of all, which pitch is coming at, coming at him, for one. You also can't really tell how fast is coming is this an off-speed pitch is it, is it a, a fastball sometimes it's very hard to tell uh, there's there's really great pitchers that really have great technique and just have a naturally good spin rate a couple of those pitchers include Jason Justin Verlander uh, I've also heard that uh, Steven Strasburg of the Nationals uh, has a really great spin rate as well just naturally just really good uh, Trevor Bauer he plays for the uh, the Dodgers currently He's had some. He's had some history about him, uh, but again, naturally decent, uh, naturally really good natural spin rate. Uh, like I said, with the added control and what the what these substances do, whether it be spider tack, whether it be like I said, sunscreen, even pine tar, what they allow the the pitcher to do is to be able to grip the ball better. That gives him added control. Add to that spin rate. So again, they're taking these substances, and again, so it's hard, you know, and again. It's hard um, for, at this point, because they've been doing it for so long, pitchers, I can see that it's hard for them now to kind of shut everything down. But I can get the hitter's point of view. I can get, you know, why it would be a little bit too egregious because I, I guess you have players that take advantage of it all too often. Like every time that they're on the mound, every start that they have, they have to use something. Every close that they have, every time that they show up on the mat, whether they're a closer, bullpen guy, reliever, they're going to be using this stuff. And it's complicated. And uh, for baseball right now, um, I recently come across another, um, you know, article that pretty much talked about why, you know, why the league is struggling because the runs are down. Uh Batting is at an all-time low in the sense of, you know, people hitting home runs, uh, 
you know, people driving, you know, driving in RBIs. And again, you know, for baseball, you know, it is a it's a longer, tedious type of sport. You know, that's just the way that it is. So, you know, even with these extra checks, like I know they're doing the right thing for the sport. Even that will get people to be antsy about everything or, look, you know, drawing the game out. So they're going to get bored with that. Um, you know, but again, in baseball, there's there's that lack of there's it's not like, you know, it's not like football or basketball where there's constantly something going. There's a lot of downtime. So, again, this the office, the offense, the home runs, the the double the well the you know the doubles and the triples uh those and the stealing you know base running good base running those are your highlights not always pitching so again it's a it's become a pitcher's league but at the same time it's coming at the detriment of the league as a whole it's a very interesting quote here this is coming from uh alice cobb a pitcher uh no less uh he's playing he plays for the angels uh alice cobb went on to say this it's just like the steroid area it's just like the steroid era everyone else sorry everyone else was using and if you're not you're living ethically you're living ethically but you're not going to be around this game very long that i'm i'm glad that guys won't have to be put in that position what he's saying is again it's just like the steroids I mean, if you're not doing what, you know, if you're not using the foreign substance, if you're just a regular pitcher, you know, doing his thing, great. But at the time, you know, when this was, you know, again, a lot of these guys, their paychecks, their livelihood, a lot of this, a lot of the hype that you get from these pitchers is because of these illegal substances that they've been using. A lot of their numbers are a little bit, I wouldn't say skewed. I wouldn't want to just say, should I say, put an asterisk on their on their careers. But again, you know, a lot of these pitchers really rely on these added substances. So I get what Alice Cobb is saying here. You know, if, if you know, before, you know, before these rules came out, you know, if you weren't on par with these other guys, you know, that would be you, you know, having to take a step back down to AAA. You know, and it's kind of unfortunate. You know, it's like comparing yourself to the steroid guy. You're you're hitting just as well as you can, but he can just hit even you know even better because he, he can, you know he has that extra juice in him. Um, it's it's not really that it wasn't that fair until now. And again, uh, you had a you had a problem with this league producing highlights, and their highlights. I mean, highlights come from the offensive end. Unfortunately, I mean, there's there's plays. In the history of sports, that you will remember on the defensive end, but for the most part, the grandest plays in sports history will be always on the offensive side of the ball. Will always be the for baseball. That means it will always be the home run. Um, I think if you want to get into pitching, it has to be like in a you know in a classic World Series type situation. That's when you'll start seeing it's. That's when you hear great pitching performances or a whole season worth of it. Like like Bob Gibson and what he did, I believe it was 1968. For an entire season, you just look that great. That's when you're going to hear about that. You can, you, you can, I mean, you can go to a ballpark and witness a grand slam at the ninth inning of a game and that'll be your highlight from baseball for all your life. Uh, you might get that from a no-hitter, but a, a, a no-hitter is so much rarer than that, that walk-off home run that you might see. So, that's just the way that it is. The game is changing. The, the MLB wants this game to be a little bit more offensive friendly. They want more firepower. Um, they're put. They're trying to put a lot of a lot of uh, praise on these hitters as well. It has to be a balanced league. So I, I, I see what they're doing here.
All right, y'all, I want to talk about the A's for a little bit. Um, and it looks as though that if things don't work uh, in Oakland, that they do have a place that they can go to in Las Vegas. Now, recently, uh, their president, Dave Caval, uh, had, was just recently in Vegas, uh, and he has looked at three potential sites here. He has, and he went on to say, we have an effort in Oakland and an effort in Nevada. So that, that tells you where where we're at right now. Um, the A's have been working on this area known as the Howard Terminal Project. It was supposed, it's supposed to be located in Jack London Square. They've been working on this project for many years now, trying to keep the, the team in the city of Oakland, um, but trying to relocate them to what they would feel would be more uh, prominent uh, real estate, at least for, you know, uh, that team. Now, this is the problem. Of course, Oakland doesn't want to divvy up any funds, any type of funds. This is the thing, though. the The project it was itself will, will cost twelve billion dollars. The A's are already saying that they're willing to give up eleven billion dollars. So the city is just, you know, on the hook for one. The city doesn't want to do that. They didn't want to help keep the Raiders in town, but they wanted to charge them for the lease. And what a city like Oakland will tell you, and we'll talk about another city whose team might leave them in a second. It's a different sport now. And what they'll tell you in these cities, and they're all liberal, is that they're spending this, all this, all this other stuff, and they don't have enough for a sports team. They want to tell you, we want to put this money into affordable this or affordable that. These cities are not doing that. Okay. The bottom line is they're cheap. And they would rather whore themselves out to the, the highest bidder. Now, if Oakland wanted to, if the A's wanted to put up $14 billion of their own ends completely or play the whole $12 billion, the, the Oakland would have no problem with what the A's wanted to do. The problem is the A's want the, want, wants the city of Oakland to chip in a little bit. The city of Oakland doesn't want to do that. But the city of Oakland, uh, you know, has also rented out this space in the Coliseum for decades, right? hasn't upgraded it, hasn't, you know, made it modernized. It's been official that the Raiders will be leaving here. They have done nothing to upgrade this facility, at least the Oakland Coliseum, into a baseball park. Again, why are you expecting a team to want to play there? Why are you expecting teams to want to do business here? That's on y'all, Oakland. That's not on the team. That's not on anybody else. But your mayor, Libby Shaft, she's giving you the shaft. That's what I call She's Libby because she's, I call her Libby Shaft. She gives you, she gives you to your raw all day. She don't care about your, she doesn't care about, you know, the citizens. She doesn't really care about, um, really, she's like any other politician. She, she only cares about corporate interests. And that's what Oakland is not really sharing with you right now. They don't give a damn if the A's stay. They don't give a damn if the A's go. They just don't want to spend any money themselves. Sorry. We'll talk about another team in a minute that's dealing with these same problems. But moving on. I just wanted to let that let you guys know, and I wanted to get that off my chest. I wanted to let y'all know how I felt about that. It's the city of Oakland's fault that the Raiders left the city of Oakland. It's the, and it's going to be the city of Oakland's fault that the A's will leave as well. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but it's also mixed with some fact as well. The city does not want to pay. The city does not care. The city just wants to charge uh, charge for a lease in a bullshit stadium that nobody wants to play in that hasn't been upgraded in many years. Okay, the Coliseum is crap. There's plenty of memories that I've had there. I've I, I met Miguel Tejada. I've met Eric. I met A's and Raiders there. But the stadium itself sucks. Sorry. Sorry.
stadium sucks now. Do something about it. And then maybe a team will want to play here. Maybe. Because I don't see why they wouldn't want to play here unless the stadium is trash. Okay? If Memphis can have a pro basketball team, Oakland should be able to have a pro football team or a pro basketball team too. It's not about, it's just the city of Oakland just wants to be cheap. Blame, I'm telling y'all, blame Libby Shaft. She's giving y'all the raw dog Shaft. That's what she does. Anyways, moving on, let's talk about some scores. Speaking of my A's, they get it done yesterday against the Rangers. 5-1 was the final score. The A's moved to 46-31. and 31. For the A's in that game, they were led by second baseman Jed Lowry. Uh, he would have... Um, a solo home run. He would also drive in two RBIs. Ramon Lariano and also right fielder Chad Pender would get RBIs as well. On the mound, Chris Bassett would not only get the start, he would get the W as well. He's currently 8-2 and two on the year. In yesterday's game, he would go for seven innings, giving up five hits, but, but only one earned run. He also would have six strikeouts as well. Uh, Elvis Andrews on the defensive end, uh, he would have two double plays. And, uh, yeah, the A's looked to be pretty, you know, looking pretty good yesterday. Uh, for the Rangers, they were led by second baseman Nick Solak. Uh, he would get his 30th RBI of the year yesterday. They were 0 for 6 with runners in score position. They would leave eight runners left on base. That's not a good sign. Again, that's how you only get one run. And on the mound, uh, they got Colby uh, Allard here taking the L yesterday. He's currently 2-3 and three on the year. He would go six innings yesterday, uh, giving up eight hits and also four, four earned runs. For the Yankees, uh, they would get the win against the Royals 8-1. to one. The Blue Jays would get the win over the Orioles 9-0. to zero. The Rays get a shutout win over the Red Sox 1-0. to zip. In that one, the Red Sox would go 1-5 for five with runners in scoring position, leaving seven runners on base. Uh, however, on the mound, Nick Pavetta would have a great start. Uh, he would go for Six innings, giving up no hits, no earned runs. He would have eight strikeouts. Uh, it would break down, though, going into the bullpen with Matt Barnes taking the loss. He's currently 3-2 and two on the year. For the Rays, Kevin Ka Kevin Kiermaier Kyrma uh, will get a double, uh, and, De and DH Emmanuel Margot will get the team's uh, the team's only one, the game runner, of course, at the bottom of the ninth, and that was via an error. Moving on, we're still in the AL. Uh, the Astros get it done against the Tigers, 12 to three. The Reds get it done against the Braves, five to three. The Nationals get it done against the Marlins, seven to three. The Nationals are 36 and 36 on the year. The Marlins are 31 and 43. For the Nationals, Kyle Schwarber, he's been on a home run tear lately. Uh, he had two in yesterday's game. He also had four RBIs. Uh, right fielder Juan Soto will bring in a couple RBIs as well. On the mound, Joe Ross will get the start and the win. Uh, he's four and seven on the year. He had set, He went for seven innings in that game yesterday. Gave up four hits, uh, five earned runs. Uh, two of those were home, were home runs. He also had four walks. Uh, he would have six Ks, but he was able to get the job done. He got the win. For the Marlins, Second baseman Chaz Chisholm was able to get a home run. He also drove in three RBIs as well. The Indians get it done against the Twins, 4-1. The Pirates, uh, they get an upset win against the Cardinals, 8-2. And finally, for the nightcap, uh, the Dodgers were able to blank the Dodgers, 4-zip, uh, to zip, no runs, and no hits for the Dodgers. For the Cubs, they are 42-33, and 33, and the Dodgers are 44-31. and 31. For the Cubs, they were led by shortstop Javi Baez. He will get his 17th homer of the year yesterday. Uh, catcher Wilson Contreras with a two-run home run. Pitcher Zach Davies, he would... Um, he would end up uh, getting a start going for six innings, zero hits, zero earned runs, five walks. He would get four strikeouts. Uh, and in the bullpen, uh, they get 
they do the damn thing as well. Only giving up three walks, they would have three strikeouts as well. Um, and again, Dodgers, no runs, no hits, really nothing to talk about from them. Sorry. Let's move on to the standings in the American League. We're going to start off in the East with the Rays. They are on top, 45 and 31. They've gone three and seven in their last ten. Uh, we have the Red Sox behind them, a half game back, 44 and 31. Uh, they've gone five and five in their last ten. Behind them, we have the Yankees, four games back from the lead, 40 and 34. They've gone seven and three in their last ten. We have the Blue Jays here. They are five, uh, five and a half games back at 38 and 35. They've also gone five and five in their last ten. At the bottom of course we have the Orioles at 23 and 52 in the central uh, we have the Chicago White Sox on top 44 and 30 they are four and six in the last 10 two games behind them we have the Indians they are 44 and 31 um, excuse me 44 and 31 they are seven and three in the last 10 we have the Royals behind them at 33 and 40 we have the Tigers at 32 and 43 and round out the bottom we have the twins here at 31 and 43 uh, moving to the west we have the astros here at 47 and 28 they've gone 10 they've gone undefeated in the last 10 games they are on fire it ain't no question why they took over in the division the a's are behind them though 46 and 31 two games back six and four in the last 10 uh they look as though they are number one in terms of the wild card by a half game though at least in the first uh slot uh we have the mariners here at 39 and 37 uh they are eight and a half games back eight and two in the last 10 we have the angels here and the rangers here rounding out the bottom the angels are 26 and 38 and the uh, Rangers are 27 and 38. Uh, moving on to the National League, starting in the East, we have the Mets here still on top, 38 and 31, but they have gone four and six in the last 10. We have the Nationals here at the number two spot. They are at 536 and 36, three and a half games back, nine and one in the last 10. So they're getting a little bit hot. Uh, the Phillies on the downturn, four and six in the last 10. They are five games back and at 34 and 37. That puts them three games below 500. And around at the bottom, we have the Braves here at 35 and 39 and the Marlins at 31 and 49 uh, moving on to the central we have the Brewers here at 42 and 33 they are four and six in the last 10 up next we have the Cubs who have gone four and six in the last 10 despite that uh, shutout win against the Dodgers last night they are 41 and 33 uh, overall and they are just a half game back into the division uh, moving on besides moving on from then we have the Reds here one game above 537 and 36 four games back in the division they've gone five and five in the last 10 and at the bottom we have the Cardinals and the Pirates here the Pirates of course garbage 27 and 46 the Cardinals I'm a little bit surprised with them. They are 36 and 39, three games below 500. Uh, moving on to the AL, the NL West. Excuse me. We have the Giants still on top, uh, the best record in all of baseball, 48 and 26, eight and two in their last uh, 10 games. Uh, we have the Dodgers here, 44 and 34 games back from the Giants, six and four in the last 10. We have the Padres here. Uh, 45 and 32, four and a half games back from the league, seven to three in the last 10 and round out the bottom. Of course, we have the two worst teams. Um, I want to say in all the baseball, but that's just no, no, the Rangers suck too. Uh, but the Diamondbacks are pretty much the worst, but we had the, we had the Rockies here at the four place spot, 31 and 44. And then, uh, we finally, we have the Diamondbacks here at 21 and 55. All right, y'all, we're going to move on to the NFL before I let y'all go few things I wanted to uh, get into here. First things first, we'll talk a little bit about Cole Beasley. Now, of course, um, many employers, of course, NFL included, it's still, you know, they have some 
COVID protocols. Now, of course, uh, for the NFL, uh, this is requiring players, at least unvaccinated players, to uh, wear masks and participate in some social distancing. This is rubbing uh, some players the wrong way, like I said, mostly Cole Beasley. But the Buffalo Bills receiver uh, recently spoke out spoke out against the league and the players' union against, you know, in terms of this agreement. He says he is willing to go as far as retirement uh, to uphold his beliefs. He goes on to say, I may die of COVID, but I'd rather die actually living. I don't uh, play for money anymore. Fine with me if you uh, find uh, find me if you want. My way of living and my values are more important to me than a dollar. I don't have a problem with anybody getting uh, getting the vaccine. That is your choice. My problem is everyone ridiculing, ridiculing and bullying people into getting one or thinking the same way about it. It's becoming that way uh, with any issue. This is not okay. Um, I feel... Uh, like he's only saying half the truth because I do feel like people are bullies about you getting a um, vaccine, but I also feel like there's bullies that you're a sheep. You're gonna get a vaccine. There's bullies on both sides. So um, I don't feel that. I think he's being a big baby about it. Um, if you ask one of his teammates on his squad, I, I just can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he went on to say that a lot of players can't afford to talk like that because we got to feed families. He's right. I'm I'm along with that guy. Um, look. You can have your personal opinions and your personal beliefs. I think the the parameters and the people you know around you are allowing for that to be. They're just saying, you know, hey, protect these other people. These people that have vaccinated themselves feel comfortable. Uh, you know, you know, these people that have vaccinated themselves and people that that haven't. Um, in order, again, I don't know how the spread of this works per se. Um, again, from what I'm hearing about this vaccine, even if you do get it, you can still be, you know be putting yourself potentially at risk by being around people who aren't and all this or just being around. Yeah, I don't know. It's so many complications with it. Um, however you feel about it, like I said before, if you feel like at the end of the day, you feel comfortable being vaccinated against it, fine. If you don't feel like you need to get vaccinated against it, that's fine too. Uh, there's no point in, you know, debating it amongst each other. There's no point in making posts about it online and making little dumbass TikToks about it. Talking about how you need to do this and what you think you know about anti-vaccine and what you think you know about pro being pro-vaccinated. Who gives a fuck? You're going to do what you want to do. I don't think it needs to be stated either way. I don't care about people going through their issues with this, whether they're against it or not. I don't care about you getting your vaccine. Good for fucking you. Let it go. Who don't ask me if I got mine? It's none of your business whether or not I got mine. The fuck are you talking about? No, I'm not telling you. No, it's not. It's not a problem. Um, do I think Cole Beasley has a real problem? No, that's first world problems. Wear a fucking mask and distance whenever it's required to. It's not the end of the world. It's not like they're not telling you, you can't play football. It's not like they're telling you they're going to find you. They're just telling you, okay, you're not vaccinated. Keep your fucking mask on around people. Keep a fucking mask on. You don't want to wear a mask. That's your problem. That's your trip. Damn, dude. Like, I'm going to wear one regardless of whether or not I had it or not. Or get it. I'm going to wear one. Because I don't. And social distance. Because for, for one, I don't like motherfuckers around me all like that. That I don't like. So... I'm going to always stay social distance. Y'all can say what you want. <laughs> I like that. I like you. I like having space away from people. They don't need to be all up in my personal space. Y'all tripping. 
Give me six feet. AEA could have never been a they could have never been this virus. And I still think six feet is a good idea from people. Unless they're your family or your friend, your lover. What the fuck type of thing is this where we gotta be in people's space? Fuck all that too. Get away from me. I'm just saying, Cole, I I, I guess you have an idea here. You know, if that's your is that's your stance, then fine. Don't play. Otherwise, just wear masks. Shut up. <clears throat> It's not the end of the world. Oh, my allergies. Sorry, guys. It's not the end of the world, y'all. It's a freaking mask. And if you don't want to go out to that day, if you don't want to put on a mask, then go, go, go out. Stay your ass at the house. Go somewhere out in the public. Don't go inside somewhere. Don't spend your time trying to spend money and be in public places with people. Because all y'all do is y'all like to just go shop. See, the only thing that y'all like to do and go out and do is be all open and y'all want to go to these public places and be all amongst... I don't need that shit. Y'all want... I can shop online. I don't I don't see what y'all whole point is going to these these brick and mortar businesses and, and being seen and want to be all public with people. Now, again, you go out to your little concert. That's once in a while. Sure. But I don't need to go out with y'all every day. I don't want... I don't need to be out and about every day. That's y'all people. I'm cool. <laughs> y'all tripping about this this social stuff. Y'all want to be too social. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. You thought the A's were going to leave. You thought that was a story. The Bears could be leaving as well. Not too far. Let's go ahead and get into it. The Bears have made a bid to purchase property at the Arlington International Race Course in Arlington, Arlington Heights, Illinois. So, Arlington Heights is not so far away. It's actually 30, 30 miles away from the current Soldier Field. Now, Soldier Field currently holds a capacity of 61,500 people and was last renovated between 2002 and 2004. The Bears, have played, the Bears have played their home games there since 1971, and they're currently under lease until 2033. Again, we have these issues here. Now, the mayor of the city, Lori Lightfoot, Everybody loves her. Everybody loves to make memes about her. It is certain that the team will stick around. But like any leader of most liberal slash democratic cities, it's unlikely her and the city will be coughing up any extra M's. So, I mean, um, she says a whole lot of stuff. She went in on to say they need to, they need to worry about the Packers, beating the Packers, so on and so forth. Listen, are you going to help the team stay in Chicago or not? Fuck all that other shit, Lori. I mean, again, even if they move to Arlington Heights, which is, again, 30 miles away from Chicago, they're not going to call them the Arlington Heights Bears. They're going to call them the Chicago Bears, okay, because that's a suburb. It's still a suburb of Chicago. They took out the Chicago name. They just going to be playing in Chicago. So <laughs> I don't see what the big deal is. Again, y'all not coughing up no money. Y'all not coughing up no ends. I don't know why you're tripping about what these sports teams want to do with with, uh, with their, with their um, you know. I don't know. I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I know for a fact, because she said it. She even said it herself. Like, it's going to be difficult. We don't really have the ends to pay. So, it's like, well, they're going to move. They, after 2030, well, I mean, again, there's a lease here until 2033. Okay. But they can obviously buy themselves out of a lease. <laughs> so, I mean... And again, Arlington Heights is a suburb of Chicago, so it's not like they're moving to a different state. They're not moving to a different, you know, a different major city in general. It's not like they're moving all the way to Decatur, Illinois, or like, you know, um, 
Peoria. There's relatively <laughs> in, you know, in the Chicago area, the Chicago metro area. So, um, again, this one I don't feel so so bad about just like, you know, with the A's. It's just like the city don't want to cough up the ends of keeping it. They don't want to, you know, help refund this, you know, to help renovate the stadium. But they want to charge the team to play there. So, if you're not going to upgrade the stadium, but you're going to charge people to, to use the facility, then... Again, you're going to have an issue. You're going to have this issue every fucking time. So I don't feel for the A's. I don't feel for the Bears. And if they decide to move on, hey, that's what the deal is. One final story to get through. We're going to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, the fall off itself. Le'Veon Bell, just for a little bit. Uh, recently, uh, in the past few weeks, uh, he's been in the news for, you know, this and Andy Reid and, you know, the Chiefs. You know, saying he'll never play for them again, and yeah, okay. Well, his stats last year were as follows: 582 total rushing yards and four touchdowns. Now he didn't get a lot of burn last year, of course, with the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they ended up getting, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Helaire in the first round. I think they already had Damian Williams there, if I'm not mistaken. So they they, they had enough depth there to go around. He wasn't going to get a whole lot of carries. And it seems to me that he did not impress enough to get more carries. I think that's what it came down to. Um, the cold part about this guy is, you know, he was pretty much one of the premier running backs in the league. Uh, before this downturn, he had two. He was coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard-plus seasons with Pittsburgh. Uh, one year, he also, well, he also put up 1,271 receiving yards and four touchdowns in that time as well. But he decides to hold out the entire 2018 season due to a contract dispute. Now, of course, this is when all this stuff started to fall apart for Pittsburgh. And he also had the issues with Le'Veon Bell. I'm sorry, not Le'Veon Bell, but Antonio Brown as well. So this whole team was falling apart. And they have not gotten right since. Of course, it all culminated pretty much with them getting a beat down by the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Now, he would sign with the with the Jets, um, spent two years with the Jets, two seasons with the Jets, only 863 rushing yards through two seasons with just three touchdowns. He would also only have one receiving touchdown. Now, what happened? I don't know. Um, you'd think that coming into that situation, uh, being one of the premier backs in the league, uh, he would come in there um, into that situation in, in you know New York, a team that had struggled, a team that it was trying to find its way offensively. Um, would have well, he would have benefited very well from the amount of burn possibly he was going to get there. I mean, come on, he was gonna. He, I mean, he was a starter, if I'm not mistaken, and he just did not show up. I don't know if it's karma. I don't know if he truly was not in the right mindset going into the season. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I think he should not have held out in 2018, though. That was his karma. I don't think you hold out in a situation like that. Um, it's I don't think it did him any good. It made him look really bad. Uh, well, it didn't make him look bad, but it. I don't think it did a lot to. Um, you know, it did a lot for his stock in terms of what these own these GMs and these coaches want to deal with. And you're already bad mouthing the coach because your opportunity to, opportunity to come through, and you're just getting older. 
you know, and running backs come a dime a dozen. They've already drafted a whole bunch of them in these past couple of years, and you've sat back and you didn't want to play, you didn't want to take this seriously, and now you're mad. Tyron Matthew does have a point. People will blame everybody else but themselves for their own situation and fail to realize that and fail to grow. Again, I keep telling people, you know, part of me going down this, you know, personal journey, it wasn't, it wasn't, between me and you, it wasn't started because just out of nowhere, I wanted to one day. It should have. I mean, well, you think in a lot of cases it would have. And, you know, it, it eventually I had to make those changes, you know, on my own. But it was it was it was inspired by things that happened. Now, either you're just going to wake up one day and you're just naturally able to do it. And, you know, you're that, you know, naturally, you know, motivated to get up and and do those things. Sometimes things need to happen to you. Things had to happen to me to me to, for me to finally wake up. Um, but I never was the type to blame anybody anyways for my situation or my problems. But again, you know, when things happen for me, you, you either mature, you either address the situations that they are and you do improve or you keep making excuses. You blame old coaches, old lovers, and you're still stuck in the same position. Um, he did himself a disservice by holding out for a year. If he truly wanted the best and the fattest contract, he should have played that last year with Pittsburgh, shown the league what he can do, uh, despite any circumstances, despite him not wanting to. That's when you show up. That's when you. That's when you really grind harder. When you don't really want to do. When you really want to prove something, you know, it's you're not feeling it. It's not the best situation. That's when you show up. That's what everybody's looking for. That's what you call integrity. That's what you call really focusing. You know, of course, you know. When times are good, when you're getting what you want, you know, you're going to look good. You're going to, you know, you're going to put that out there. It's about when times are hard. It's about, you know, when, you know, you haven't got things right away. Look at, look at Dak. I mean, at least he sat there. I mean, he ended up getting injured, unfortunately, but he sat there and said, look, I'll play it out one more. See, I'll give you guys some more time. I'll ball out this season. And he tried to, unfortunately, he got injured. And, and I guess that's where Le'Veon was coming from as well. But it's, it's a hard situation. I would have played and and I would have played one last season and just left Pittsburgh. I would have gave him one last good season, gave him some and then dipped on their ass. Whoever gonna want me is gonna give me a good contract. If they want me, they're gonna sign me to a good contract. And I'm coming in there hot, ready to go. There's no downtime. I don't have to get back into nothing because I've been running the whole season and my mindset is is hungry. I it seemed like he lost his hunger to play. Not this hunger to get paid, but his hunger to actually play and that's you can't blame nobody for that. You gotta blame yourself for that one. And that's something it happens to it happens to people. People lose their hunger to, to to people lose the drive to do something. Not so much the the want for the money and the want for the lifestyle. That left that didn't leave, of course. But his drive to to stay focused on what got him there. That's what changes. That's what changed. You can't blame nobody for that. That's that's Le'Veon playing itself, y'all. He played himself. That's unfortunate. All right, y'all. This is a wrap for me today. Uh, my next episode, will, of course, still be breaking down the NBA playoffs. This ain't done yet. Uh, also, we'll be going over some more news. You know how it happens, how we do. I am working on uh, my top 10 worst Republican states in America. Look out for that in another week or so. Uh, I am working on the script for that. Hopefully, we can start recording uh, pretty soon. Uh, so look out for that. I uh, will be leaving my links available for you guys. And uh, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Uh, peace out. One love. And I'll let you guys later.